Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm Justin, your host. And on today's episode, we are going to learn how to learn effectively. A uh, bunch of learning should be pretty exciting. Looking forward to talking about that and going over those things. Uh, let's say hi to our panelists today, and then we'll meet our guests, and then we'll get into the content as usual. Joining us today, we've got Mike Brocky. Mike, what's going on? Uh, not too much. I'm, I'm a, in a deep thought now of understanding if I can effectively learn to learn effectively. I hope I can do that during the show. Well, it's gonna the, get good thing, <laughs> the good thing is that you and I don't have to worry about that. Our guest is going to tell us how to do that. So nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Educate us, guest. That Joe sounds good. But in the in the middle of this, we're going to talk a lot about the, your responsibility and what you have to do. Oh, so okay, so we, we have to do some stuff. Okay, mm -hmm. I got it. All right, it's two way street. I get it. I get it. Okay. Join us today. We got Joe. Joe, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Doing awesome over here. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, you want to uh, fill our viewers in? For those that don't know who you are, maybe about yourself and, and maybe what you've been up to lately and that sort of thing? Sure. So uh, I'm Joe Eames. I, uh, you may you probably know me from either having taken one of my Pluralsight courses, if, if you happen to know me, or you might know me as being one of the organizers of ng-conf. So those are probably the two things that I do that give me the most amount of popularity. I'm also an amazing swing dancer. So you may have seen me on nothing related to that whatsoever. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really not. But I do, I do like to do lots of really geeky things. So I wouldn't yeah. include swing dancing one of those. But I, lately, I've been into miniature painting. So I've been doing a lot of painting D&D miniatures and Star Wars miniatures. But uh, employment-wise, I'm the CEO of Thinkster.io, and we are an online course production facility. We just recently published the world's, so far as I know, the only major free production quality uh, course on learning the fundamentals of Angular. So there's plenty of free courses, but they're all kind of done just sort of like, you know, somebody just sits down and quickly whips them out and then there's free and then there's a bunch of paid courses. But those are done by professionals that spend hundreds of hours and we, me, Personally, I spent hundreds of hours producing a Fundamentals of Angular course, and then we made it free. So if you're if you're interested in learning more about the Fundamentals of Angular, head over to Thinkster.io and learn for free. Oh, nice. Is that price, are we able to haggle over that price? We can. We can. Like, uh, you know, give me your best offer, and I'll tell you if I accept or reject. Excellent. Okay. We'll we'll, go, we'll, we'll talk later. My DMs are open, so if you need a cheaper price, like if you need if you need a scholarship or something for that, due to uh, you know various circumstances, right? Maybe yeah. you've been spending too much on Angular related hats, then and you can't afford to the price. Let me know. I'm I'll happy see what I can do. The only Angular thing I have in front of me right now. <laughs> yeah, let's just say I'll easily cut the price in half just by asking. Oh. Just ask. I'll definitely cut the price in half. Love you, Joe. And uh, are the courses on Thinkster.io just Angular courses, or is it all kinds of material? We do we 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 do everything. We got Vue, React, uh, Angular, JavaScript. Um, we have a pretty pretty reasonable cross cutting thing about mostly web development stuff, though. Mostly for and mostly front end, mostly front end. A little bit of back end, but mostly front end. Nice, nice. I'm gonna throw the link up here on the overlay for Thinkster.io. 
Um, cool. Cool. So we're going to talk, uh, you're going to teach us how to learn effectively. Is it specifically for Angular or is it just more in general of, of just learning concepts and stuff? Yeah, no, uh, we're going to talk about general. I want to talk about general concepts just because that way it'll apply whether you're learning Angular or really anything else. We'll be talking about um, anything. I mean, if you want to talk about like the most effective way to learn Angular, go take my course. <laughs> Done. All right. That's episode's over. <laughs> no, uh, I want, uh, we're going to talk a lot lot about just learning in general, right? Because it's such, as programmers, we learn. We learn all the time. We have to be learning. We have to constantly be learning. We have to be constantly be getting ourselves up to date. And that's one of the reasons why I became very interested in education itself. Um, besides the fact that I've been doing it pretty much full-time since 2012, but uh, it's also because I was doing tons of learning. And so I'm very fascinated and interested in the science of education and so I just want to talk more about education and hopefully help give people a lot of tools and techniques that will help them to learn the things that they have to learn faster, keep up to date with their jobs and do better at their jobs. Nice. It's, it's really interesting. And now I've been away from, you know, college for a minute now, so maybe things have changed, right? But like typically in, in the um, industry that we're in, in terms of web development and, and this type of technology, these things change and move so fast that you would typically not see really a university being able to teach the most up-to-date current content. So you'd go somewhere for like continued education to learn fundamentals of programming or core concepts of, of those sort of things with these older languages possibly. And then when you move into your professional career, at that point, we're following that up with training, whether that we get that from our companies we work at or self-training that we're finding these solutions. Um, so it's interesting to see like, is that still the scenario that's playing out here? Um, and, and when we talk about things like these courses, right? Like that's where us as professionals can level up our skills by going to that route, right? Right. Yeah, um, I totally resonate 100% with that. It, outside of, I, I myself have not exactly like gone through and looked at a whole bunch of university curriculum lately, but I'm sure that, uh, Myself and most listeners would agree that uh, even if you do have a CS degree from college or computer engineering or some kind of a computer science, computer science or programming related degree, or even just classes from university, that you would still say, yeah, universities aren't exactly the place where it's like, I got to keep up to date. Once you get out, get into the field, you're not going back for like, oh, well, I need, I need to learn a new skill set. So I'm going to go get a postgraduate degree, right? Like that's not why you get a postgraduate degree. Generally, you get a postgraduate degree for other reasons if you decide to go back to school, but it's not because, oh, I'm an Angular developer, but now I really need to learn to do .NET, right? So I'm going to go get a good postgraduate degree in .NET. That's, that's not our industry. Right, we learn from each other. Generally, that's that's how we learn. Um, I'm old enough, been around long enough. I started uh, programming professionally in '96, and back then, the internet, even though it technically did exist, that was not where we, I, you learned. You bought books, right? So, Mike, Justin, I'm sure that you guys have actually bought a few programming books, right? You're, I, I, I imagine that people that have been learning to program in the last just like few years, or might be in the case where the only time they buy a book is for like maybe nostalgia or it's one of those like classics, like I'm going to go buy a pragmatic programmer in hard copy. But other than that, you don't like, you know, in, in back in that day, I really wanted to learn a new skill. Essentially the only way to learn it was to head over to uh, Borders. Uh, what was the other, there was a couple Arns of other. Arnes and Noble. Arnes and Noble. But yeah. there was, 
before Borders, I think there was one more, but some of those, some bookstore and like you peruse and look up books and oh yeah, I really just, I really do want to learn. Uh, I would try to think of VB5. I really right, want to pick right. up the VB5. Got to pick up the VB5 book, right? And things have changed. But even, even back then, like those books, they were all written by our peers. So programming essentially, as far, far as I've been involved in it, has always been taught past, you know, getting into the industry. It's always been taught by our peers. And that's actually one of the reasons why we're in this situation where um, education isn't done as well as it could be for us as programmers. It's this weird confluence of things change a lot. So we have to learn a lot, right? We have to constantly be learning. And we're definitely one of those uh, disciplines or job car careers where uh, we are on the high scale. If you rated every career from have to learn a lot frequently to don't, right? We're, we're definitely on the top end of that. Whatever, whatever else may be up there with us, I, I don't really know. But you have to learn and be constantly learning. And then universities aren't able to handle that learning or traditional, and we probably wouldn't want to, right? We wouldn't want to have to go back to school if we wanted to learn a new language anyway. So we're all taught by our peers. But what the scenario is that happens is I'm a programmer. I learn new st stuff and I decide I want to teach other people this stuff, right? I want to help other people out. I'd like them to know what I know for whatever the reason is. Maybe it's because you want money. Maybe it's because you want power and eventually want to become, I don't know, the president of the United States. You feel like that's the best route, weird route. Uh, or because it's just the God of the goodness of your heart. You want to share knowledge and wisdom or any of various other reasons. So you start educating, doing lots of, you know, there, you could be do, teaching uh, online courses like I do. You could be get, jump out of YouTube, writing blogs, giving talks, just doing lunch and learns at work or sitting next to another programmer and just uh, doing, you know, pair programming, all kinds of ways to teach. But what happens is, if you think about it, it's, you're a programmer, you start teaching, right? Imagine the opposite were true. Imagine you were a teacher, let's say a high school teacher, and you decided to start just programming, right? And you just said one day, I'm going to start programming. You sat down and said, boom, I'm programming, right? And now I'm a programmer. We would all kind of say, no, that's... It's not how it works. It's really hard. There's a lot to it, right? You got to learn a lot of stuff first. You got six, 12 months ahead of you of hard learning before really you're going to be in that place where, yeah, we people are going to want to pay you to do this, right? Programming has been a sign, you know, you learn going to learn programming at school. Now, I don't know, Mike or Justin, if you guys have degrees, but if you got degrees, do, do either of you have degrees? Did you go to, or did you go to university? Yes. Well, you did. Mike did. Justin, did you? I went. What was your majors? I it was mine was first graphic communication, then it changed to um, uh, something to do with software and programming. It's like some business combo. I don't know. Okay. I was one year out of finishing, and then I got a tech job, and I was like, CIS or CIS or something like that. Yeah, Micro I think it was like a minor in CIS and like a major in business management or something. Cool. It was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I started in engineering and switched over to uh, CompSci. Gotcha. So I don't know if you guys at any point when you were at university did this, but if you look around in that course catalog, there's this big section under the heading called education, right? Education is a science. It's a science that we've been studying for well over 150 years on how we actually educate, right? And so the fact that we think that as a programmer who knows things that we could just suddenly start teaching people and be as effective as we possibly can be is really, in a sense, 
you know, it could even be, it could even be, it's, it's definitely naive. Some people might even call it insulting, right? Because we, we know nothing about education yet. We want to go off and just start teaching people. Now, by far a worse scenario would be if nobody did it because then we'd have nobody to teach. But my point being that just because you start deciding to tell people about what you know, doesn't mean you're doing a good job effectively educating people right? There's a big gap. There's a lot that goes on in actually edu effective education and the, that learning. And so that's kind of what, you know, I've been uh, not, I've, it's not like I went and took a degree, but I've been a, sort of an enthusiast studying this on my own, the same way I learned programming uh, for many years now. And uh, it really kind of started when I decided I was going to pull my daughter out of high school and put her into a boot camp uh, when she was a junior in high school. Um, that that sort of happened because I was, we were kind of thinking about whether or not we should do that. And I started reading a lot about education and I started seeing, you know, there's reading these books that's talked about the problems in the U.S. Edu uh, post or secondary primary, primary education system. Right. And I was reading about these problems. And I started seeing, Hey, these problems that they're talking about, a lot of these exist over here where I, at the time I was a full-time educator. I was doing courses for Pluralsight full-time. Right. And I'm like, I've seen these, they're talking about these problems. These are why kids aren't being educated effectively. And I was like, wait a second. These are some of these, not all of them, but some of these are problems that exist in my job, what I'm doing. Like I'm doing the wrong thing as well. And so that kind of got me into learning more and more about education. And then that ended up ultimately me starting or taking over Thinkster from the Stackblitz guys. And the first person that I hired was a woman who had a master's degree in education so that we could really kind of do things right. But there is so much to actually learning effectively that doesn't happen that we we get sort of drawn in or suckered into thinking it's it's a it's almost a stockholm syndrome and thinking that because we are participating in this education that all that we actually have access to that we're learning effectively and we're really not like the this this is the most important point here you could learn stuff five times faster by learning properly than most of the education most of the learning that you're doing right now so, and I, I'm, I'm going to lump you in with the rest of us. Most of the learning that you're probably doing right now is going to be you too, and, but I'll speak to the audience as well. You're probably reading blog posts and watching videos, whether they're on YouTube or some, um, you know, professionally like paid subscription site, right? Those are probably the two places you're doing most of your learning. A third place where you might do some of it is by watching conference talks. All three of those uh, forms of learning for the most part, and I'm, I'm going to say like 98, 99% of what you're going to find out there doesn't use proper educational science. <clears throat> and so when you consume that educational material, uh, Justin, Mike, you ever heard the terms passive learning versus active learning? Yep. Okay. A lot of people have heard those terms. They're very easy to define because they are exactly what they sound like. Active learning is you're doing, you're participating, right? You're practicing, essentially practicing. Passive is you're not. If you think about it, the 99% of the, of the education that's out there is given to us in a passive learning method. When you're watching a conference talk, right, sitting in the, whether you're watching it online or sitting at the conference, you're just listening to what they're saying. That's very passive learning. When you're reading a blog, you're just reading what they're saying. It's very passive learning. Most part times, there's a few exceptions. We can talk about those. If you're watching a course, it's very passive learning. And I know that there's this thing where you can download the code and type along. I'm going to get to that and why that isn't active learning either. But this is, this is all passive learning, okay? When you are engaging in passive learning, you will retain. Now, going back to learning is nice. I love sitting there, learning all these things, hearing about all these ideas, super fun, awesome. I love conferences, one of my favorite things, right? 
the only thing that matters from all that stuff, besides the good feeling that you get of being engaged in it in the moment, right? So like this, the serotonin and stuff, the really thing that actually matters and the reason that you're probably engaging in those activities is what you can actually do tomorrow. And the only thing that you get to do tomorrow is the stuff that you retain tomorrow. So retention is the most important thing you can worry about when trying to educate yourself is how can I retain this knowledge so that I can utilize it? If you engage and, in, go ahead. And I think a lot of times at those conferences, the things that lead you to retain are the things that resonate with something you're currently working on, right? So you see five talks and one talk has a little bit about a thing that you were trying to solve. And now that naturally resonates because you're, you have that in your mind, but you're right. not actively trying to figure out how yeah, to it actually just happens. Those things happen, right? That's a really good point. And that involves a, a an educational principle called scaffolding. Um, and uh, if we, let's put a pin in that. I want to go back to, the, I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Can, but Can I add on to that real quick? Yeah. Um, I think that the other thing to take away is that not you're not saying that conference talks or any of these other mediums are bad. It's just a different way of educating. Um, and then the one thing that I want to add, especially about conferences, is that conferences aren't necessarily meant to teach you it's a matter of trying to show you some things so that you can prioritize what you actually want to learn those are those are absolutely great points i mean i i spent a significant amount of my time throughout the year planning and executing ngconf and reactconf um and i wholeheartedly believe in it and there's tons of benefits from you know now we're doing online conferences which are fine but you miss out that interpersonal re um relationship and so many, I, I know so many people whose careers were made by attending a conference, you know? Um, right, there we go. Uh, conference attendance is really important. And then the talks themselves are still very valuable, but I think it's very, it's a much better for us to realize that the, what we will mostly get out of a conference talk with the exception of what Justin's, Justin, you mentioned this thing of you're working on something and then they talk about something and it really fills in some small gaps. That's a, a little bit of an exception. Most conference talks are, I learned an idea of something that can be done. And then later on, I take that idea and I go and I figure it out and start doing it, right? Like I just found out that I could do like reactive programming in Angular, right? And then I go and I learn it, even though they they actually in the talk, they, they actually tried to teach it and they showed code and all that sort of stuff. You don't remember any of the code, but you remember the idea, right? So that's by far the typical, and that's roughly what you get out of retaining only 15% of that. So going back to passive education, passive education, you will only retain 15 at best, at best 15% of what you hear. It's between seven and 15% is what you actually remember tomorrow out of a passive. Now, this take good uh, little side note here, good conference talks. My favorite conference talk that teaches this uh, or uh, does this correctly is John Papa's talk from Angular Connect in 20... Uh, 18, I believe it might've been 2019, maybe it was 2019. Uh, but anyway, he gave a talk about VS code, um, at angular connect. And one of the things that he did was he talked about command shift or control shift P right. And that brings up in, in VS code, this thing that you could type in and it brings you, finds you every command, right? We know typically control P is when you want to switch to a different, uh, file, but command shift P or control shift P brings up the whole command palette and you can like, how do I, you know, hide this or hide that you can type in the word hide and it'll, 
start showing you all the different hide things, right? And he, in his talk, he taught, he showed a bunch of things, but he kept saying, I just remember command shift P. And then he'd say something else, remember command shift P. And he's, and he reiterated that over and over and over again. And you're going to re retain that because of the 15% that you're going to remember that thing that was touched upon four or five times is going to show up. And so a good educator will also put in things like the right kinds of repetition in various various times and places in order to, so that's a good example of a great talk because he knew he had a good expectation for what people would take home with them or would take, would take home from this talk. And it was just one thing. He wanted to remember one very specific thing. So he reiterated it over and over and over again while he was also teaching a lot of things. So if you go back and watch the whole talk, you can learn a lot of really cool techniques. But for people who don't review it, just watch it and go away. They're going to come back, come out of that with something really concrete. So that's a good example of a great, of somebody who understands what a conference talk actually can deliver and, and did that. John Papa's, you know, definitely one of the better educators that uh, is around in, in the computer industry for sure. Um, so passive education only lets you remember 15%. Now, when we do a conference talk, mostly we kind of expect that, right? We're not going to remember everything that we see. We know we're not going to remember the code, mostly. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we actually are really learning code, but we're not. But when it comes to like reading a blog, or going and taking an online course, that's when it starts to get problematic for us because if you go take a course, a whole course on learning something, let's say that you take a course, I took a course recently on GraphQL, right? You take a whole course on this thing that you wanna learn. If you only remember and retain 15% of that, that's a problem because you paid money, you assumed that you're gonna learn a new skill and you walked away with only 15%. And if you didn't realize that up front, that causes another really, pro another really big problem, which is that you think, well, why don't I remember this, right? Why can't I do this? I didn't learn well enough. And you might start taking on the responsibility yourself as to why you didn't. And you start thinking, well, maybe I'm not smart enough. I, I see other people that do stuff and they learn. And so they know this, but I can't, I, I'm having a hard time. I just can't figure this out. It comes to that imposter syndrome, but really this, I can't figure this out. And I think a lot of people drop out of learning how to become programmers or learning new kinds of programming techniques or becoming just drop out of being a programmer because they get this feeling that, well, I just can't figure this out. But it wasn't their fault. It, the fault was the, in the, the method that they went through the education. So they didn't necessarily understand how education itself works and the fact that what's delivered to us is just a small bite of a small part of what we actually need. Again, when it comes to like 98% of what's out there. So we have to take in, we have to do the other four fifths of the work ourselves for what's mostly out there. And that's kind of really what I want to talk about today is you're only, for most part, you're going to get only about 20% of what you actually need to learn something. When we're talking about like a whole skill, right? I want to learn GraphQL. I want to learn ArcGIS, whatever it is. I want to learn this. The stuff that you're going to find out there is only going to give you 20% and you have to do the other 80%. And so I want to talk about why it's only giving you 20% and how you can get the 80%. So going back to passive versus active, passive learning, you retain between 7 and 15% of what you learn. Active learning, you retain between 75 and 90% of what you learn. There's only one better way to increase your retention. And uh, I, I just just want to see if Mike or Justin, do you, have, do you have a clue as to what it might be, but what is actually better than active learning to le what's the best possible way to learn something? If I phrase it that way, you have an idea, I guess. Hands-on or experience. Well, okay. So no, that, that's really the, the hands-on. That's what I, it's active learning is hands-on. So instead of just besides doing it hands-on, can you think of a better way to learn something? If I say, what's the best way to learn something? What's your answer? Be the one who creates the curriculum. <laughs> I like that. You know, that's actually right. No, that, and that's exactly right. It's teach it. 
The only, the best way, the only way to get above 90% retention is actually teach. So outside of the opportunities to teach, mostly we don't have those opportunities. We just, we want to consume the material. So we need to be doing active learning, right? And active learning is, as Mike, you said, hands-on and it's practice, right? Um, real quick to touch on teaching um, that you mentioned this earlier. I just want to reiterate uh, again, that whole command shift P drive it at home is that teaching doesn't have to be writing a blog post. It doesn't have to be giving a conference talk or putting on a workshop. It could be the lunch and learn. It could be the pair programming. It doesn't have to be a grandiose thing, but the uh, ability to share information and share um, how to do something with even an audience of one uh, with yourself, Absolutely. with one other person that counts as teaching. Absolutely. In my opinion, the most effective learning you could possibly engage in is pair programming. There's nothing else, not courses, not workshops, not conference talks, not blogs, nothing else approaches the effectiveness and efficacy of pair programming. So, uh, you know, and in this day and age, we do a lot of remote stuff. And so remote pair programming is a little bit harder to do than in person, but whatever it is, if you have some opportunity to influence your organization to increase the amount of pair programming that you do, do it. it it's by, it is so effective for so many reasons, not just producing better code, but actually like teaching yourself or teaching others. And the other good thing about it is even if you're like, you're paired with a junior programmer and you're like mostly teaching them, you're gonna still learn it, one, a ton from them directly because they're gonna know stuff. Everybody knows things you don't know. And two, as you teach, it will teach you better. So you're also learning, again, this is the most effective way to learn something is to teach it. So no matter what side you're on, you might think, well, I need to learn stuff so I can't spend all my time pair programming teaching somebody else. You will learn those topics better than you will learn them anywhere, anywhere else. So go to going back to mostly what we engage in is, is, you know, we're consuming this education. And again, it's mostly passive. So I want to talk about uh, two things, two exceptions to that well, not necessarily exceptions. One thing that we think is an exception. So you're going to find a lot of courses out there that say, you can download the code, you can follow along with me. Or, you know, open up your editor and start start doing what I'm doing. And then you're going to be coding along with me. And we're going to build, you know, there's a ton of these courses that are, let's build blah. Let's build uh, a to-do app in React. Let's build, uh, I've seen these, like we're going to build uh, this product and you can go along and you can do it. I'm going to show you, I'm going to go through and do it. And you're going to follow along with me. And we fool ourselves into thinking that that is active learning and it is not. So that's a really important thing that I want everybody to kind of understand is if you are typing along with a course, whether or not you're typing what they're typing or typing in what they show you in a blog post, or uh, you've downloaded the code and then you're typing along with that code, whatever it is that typing along is not active learning. Okay. And I'll, I'll go into the scientific reasons as to why that is. First off, just a little like an, uh, an anecdote about that. My father-in-law is an amazing guy in metal fabrication. Knows, ton knows so much about metal fabrication. It, like it just boggles the mind. Doesn't know a lick about programming. But I can sit him down at my computer, have the editor all set up and whatever, put him in front of one of these courses. And, as long as, and he knows how to type. So if he can follow along with one of these courses and completely complete the whole thing, and never learn a single thing. He wouldn't, po couldn't possibly be way, you know, they'd be talking way over his head the entire time. But he can because he can type, right? He could follow along the keystrokes. These courses or blogs that tell you to follow along with me, type what I type, they're not programming practice. They are typing practice. 
Okay, so they are passive learning for programming. It might be active learning. You might get better as a type. Your your typing skills might go up because if you're watching along a video and you're like trying to type furiously as they're typing and doing that thing where you pause the video and type in what they typed and you're crap. I they switch the screen and I have to back up the video just a little bit, see what they typed in and type that in. And you get to the end of the video and they show you what they've done and it's working and and you hit save and refresh and uh, you hope you pray. Did it work? Did I? Did I do it right? And then whew, it did. It worked. I right, or maybe it didn't. You got to figure it out. But hopefully it worked. And then you realize, oh crap! I didn't hear a word they said because I was so busy typing. Typing, having that, having them, having you do that and type along while they're talking, for the most part, is actually not only not giving you active learning. It's can be a net negative. It would be similar to if you went to a college uh, course, and during the lecture, the uh, professor asked you to also juggle while he was lecturing, right? Like busy yourself with a mechanical task while you're trying to listen to me, right? That's what you're doing when you're typing along while somebody is trying to teach you. You are, well, go ahead. And it's even similar to like you mentioned the lecturing, just because we're talking about both the way that you you teach, right? And the way that you as a student consume it. As a student in a lecture, you're typically writing notes while they're they're talking. So you're effectively doing the same thing that you're describing, which is typing along, right? All you're doing is note taking what's being told to you, and you're not actually able to, you know, digest that at that at that moment. So we're doing the same thing even at that point, right, with the lecture. Yeah. So that's a good point, right? Note taking is often talked about as a really good technique and something that you should do, right? But you actually have to do note taking correctly. So note taking done correctly can add to your learning. Note taking done incorrectly usually or can detract from your learning. It really just depends on how you're note taking. So for example, if you're note taking by listening for key concepts and writing down those key concepts, that's a really effective note taking. If the instructor is putting up a list of things and you take notes on the list of things, right? That's that also helps. What that does is it does pr pr process the information through a diff different set of neural pathways. It's a mechanical pathway, and that can help. But if you're just verbatim doing what they're doing, writing, writing down, taking notes on what they're saying, you actually aren't learning. It's the same thing as if you're reading a book. If you're reading a textbook, I, I was surprised to learn. My junior in high school, I had two juniors in high school at the same time, and I was talking to them about, well, you know, go through. They were like complaining because they got a textbook and they had to read some stuff, and they're like, I read it and I don't understand. I'm like, well. You know, as you're going through and you're highlighting your textbook, right? Like, what are you? And they're like, what are you talking about highlighting? And I said, what is that going Nobody ever taught you how to actually consume a textbook through a highlighter and, and writing in your own notes and stuff. Like, how do you not know? Like, what a simple technique is don't ever read the text. Just go through and read all the headings. You probably get more out of doing that than you will out of reading the text. You'll retain more. And again, it comes back to retention. We have the Stockholm syndrome that thinks that because we consume information that we retain it. We don't. So just going through and reading the headings in a textbook is likely to teach you more than reading all the text will because the text will just end up creating more noise and the things that you do retain will be less useful than if you just went through the headings, brought in less information and then had less to try to remember. So now, uh, go ahead, Mike. A quick question about note-taking then. Is note-taking when you say can be, um, help, can help with uh, learning? But at the same time, is it actually helping you learn with understanding concepts or is it more so just helping with the memory of remembering what was said to you and what you wrote down? It could definitely be both. Uh, really, again, effective note taking and you could Google effective note taking and probably find great YouTube videos on how to do this. And I'm probably not even the best teacher at even just note taking, although I actually have studied note taking. But um, 
there, there, there's, and I want to, I do want to talk about the difference between uh, memorization and learning skills as well. But when it does come to like just knowledge retention and memorization, note taking definitely will help with that. But it also can help with the like understanding concepts because again, the teacher says a, a key point and you write that down, just that one key point. Um, that will, help. while you're writing it down, you're going to be reprocessing what the teacher has just said about this key point. And, you're, and your mind will probably start spinning on that one point and you'll process it through a couple of different neural pathways. And so not only will you retain it, but you'll potentially draw connections that you wouldn't have drawn if you just simply listened to what they said and then moved on and listened to the next thing that they said. Now, notice that if the teacher continues to talk while you're taking that note, you're probably not gleaning very much of the next information. But again, that's okay. You're only go likely to get 15% out of what they say. So pick the most important 15% and take those things in. So this kind of goes back a little bit to what Justin said about if you're watching a conference talk about something you've really been struggling with, right, and working on, and then they talk about that subject, you'll likely retain a lot of that. And that comes into this, uh, there's a, kind of this concept called scaffolding, right? And as we, as we learn things, so let's say, take Mike, I know that Mike, you're an, R, an expert in RxJS, right? So if you were to watch a talk about RxJS that, that covered a lot of information you didn't actually know, which I don't know, maybe there isn't anything about RxJS, you don't know, <laughs> but possibly there is. Who knows? Maybe there's something about RxJS Mike doesn't know, but if you watched a talk about some stuff about RxJS that you didn't know, you would likely retain a really high percentage of that information because what they're doing is, imagine that your knowledge is like the scaffolding for a building, right? So it's, you're, you have this all this knowledge that already is most of what is there. And somebody comes in and they, they're putting like a wall over in this place and you already had everything else but that one wall already in place. And they put in that wall because you have everything around that, that wall is going to fit in very nicely and you're going to retain that wall. And then they come over somewhere else and they put in another wall in a different place. You're going to retain that. But when you don't have any scaffolding and you're just building the, you, you know, you're in, in your mind building this building fresh, there's a foundation laid, there's a first floor, there's the walls, all this sort of stuff. There's, there's so much you can't retain very much of it. But out of, you know, say a 30 minute talk, if you already know the subject really well, but they're just plugging in new things and there's still 25 minutes of it is brand new to you, but you already know so much about that, you're going to retain a lot of that 20. So your retention will actually be much higher than 15%. If it's a topic of which you already have a significant amount of knowledge, right? And they're just filling in these gaps, right? And they can't be, again, the gaps have to be kind of spaced out, right? And Kathy, here's something really brand new and I'm filling in everything around that one topic and you've never bridged into that one topic, right? But if they're filling in gaps around a lot of stuff that you already knew, then you retain a lot of that. And that can go back to uh, uh, note-taking and, and understanding these concepts and or highlighting, right? Like pulling out the right information and, and processing it through other pathways. So um, anyway, yeah. Go. Any questions or comments about that? No, no, no. Can we just go back into talking me up? I like that. That was kind of cool. <laughs> it's like a big old ego boost on here over here. Like, oh, I like this. I like this. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, you bet. So um, going back to active versus passing, passive, typing along is not active learning. So here's, you know, tip number one for every listener. If you get to a course where they say, type along with me, don't do it the first time. Okay. Or here's a way to do that and actually make it work. Watch every video twice. Watch it once and just watch what they do and just, then hopefully the videos are like less than 10 minutes long. If the videos are longer than 10 minutes, then consume it in five to 10 minute chunks. So say you found some two hour 
YouTube video. There's a pun of, there's a bunch of these uh, people out on YouTube that are doing like here's a two hour you know hands on on how to learn whatever right. That's a really 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 it's like the the worst mix of everything. It's two hours long and it's super passive. Even if they tell you you could type along, so you can make it better by first watching it every minute of it twice and take it into five minute to 10 minute chunks, no longer than 10 minutes and watch between, you know, really it's kind of two to 10 minutes, really pick a good stopping point, watch two, two to 10 minutes of it. And if you can type along, then watch it again. And this time type, but the first time don't type, just sit and listen. And if you want to, you can take notes again, you're looking for just the most key stuff, whether you're taking notes by hand or through a note taking, you know, like uh, Google docs or something, it's okay to take those notes. But your job, your your goal right then is to just get some of the information, consume it. The second time will be to actually put it into practice and, and, and type. Now, there's one more important thing about why type along is not active learning. So even in that case, typing along with them is very, very, very poor, uh, mostly passive learning. And that is because of an educational principle called generation. Okay. So if I was going to teach you basic arithmetic, I know that Mike, you struggle with basic arithmetic. We're, we're swapping. We were talking up. Now we're talking it down. <laughs> Mike struggles with basic arithmetic. He never really learned it properly. Nobody knows this, but I do. Um, He's a lot. <laughs> do the, the fingers. Yeah. If I, got, if, I have to, if I have to go over, you have to go over 10, you have to take off your socks and shoes. Um, <clears throat> okay. So if I was going to teach you basic arithmetic addition, right, I might get a board and two plus two my favorite thing is doing this if they're viewers they can see me right uh so for the view for the view that are going to listen to this i'm sorry this this is going to be completely lost on you but for you viewers we want to teach i got to show you a magic trick right uh, 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 uh. pretty cool huh <laughs> all right, all right. Nice. so uh two plus two right that's four i take the two out two fingers up on this finger and the two fingers up on this finger and I move these two fingers over to the other hand so that and take them away there's four and then I count one two three four so two plus two is four right I I'm teaching Mike's on that yeah Mike's taking yeah take some notes on that Mike right so I, I teach you two plus two is four now let's let's do two plus three right so I got three fingers up on one hand two on the other hand and I migrate the three fingers on one hand over the other hand and that's now I count it up that's five right you just saw two plus two and two plus three but you really haven't learned educate learned addition until I can then say what well, what my next step would not be all right now what's two plus two right you're not learning anything by parroting back two plus two what I need to do is say okay you've seen two plus two and two plus three so hopefully you understand the foundational principles of it but let's check it I'm going to ask you what's two plus four right or what's three plus four right I'm going to ask you some different problem that you haven't seen it's the same principles, but a new problem. And now you have to, at that moment, do a thing called generation. You have to generate the answer. This is generation. So think through every blog post that you've written, every YouTube video you've consumed, uh, conference talk. There's a few exceptions to this, but for the most part, this will be true of all those things. What's the number of times that in those things they've taught you a principle and then gave you a new scenario and said, how do you, how, how, let's apply this, what we learned to a scenario and you apply it. I'm not going to give you the answer. You apply it. Don't just parrot it back to me. You apply it. Here's a new scenario. The answer to that is probably 1% of the time, if, if even that, right? So the number of times where you generate the answer is nearly nil in consuming most educational material. And yet generation is the key to learning, right? G gaining knowledge doesn't give you anything when it comes to programming. You know, if we're learning history, gaining knowledge is fine, 
right? But when we're talking about programming, it's the skills, the ability to do stuff. So if I give you the opportunity to learn GraphQL by just doing what I'm doing until you can apply GraphQL to your scenario and actually use it, it's of no use to you. The knowledge is of zero use until you can actually use it in your job. That's generation. That's actually taking the knowledge and being able to apply it. And once you can start applying that knowledge, then you can start using it in your job. So generation is a really, really, really key principle. And that's generation is essentially the core underlying scientific principle to active learning. Active learning is not being physically active in the process. It's actually being the one who generates the answer to the problem, right? So active learning isn't typing. Now typing, you actually are generate if it's it's active typing learning, right? When I'm typing along, because I have to generate the answers to how do I move my fingers in order to hit the right keystrokes to produce the correct letters on the page. That's active typing learning. It's not active programming learning because you're not generating an answer. So active learning would be, here, let me show you how, let's say we're taking routing in Angular. Let me show you how a routing table works, but here's a different routing table. And I need you to add a new route to that routing table. And it needs to be this, you know, we're going to route to this page and this component, and here's the path. Now you create the routing entry. That is generation. That's actually active learning. So even in a course where you that you can type along and you watch it once and consume it and then watch it again a second time and type along, you are not doing generation. So to bring this all into what the most important part of this entire discussion here is, if you want to learn something, you have to engage yourself in generation. So no matter what it is and how many how much material you consume, if you don't take that knowledge and quickly engage yourself in some form of generation, you are going to lose most of the knowledge and retain at best 15% of what you learned. Now, the nice thing is if you're working on something at work, right? And we've all had this experience of working on something, like, man, I can't remember the syntax. So I Google it really quick. I find the syntax, there it is. I might copy and paste it in, or at least I look, understand it and type it in. That's generation, right? Boom, I got generation, I just learned something. I just generated the, I, I saw a principle, how they applied it in their situation. I figured out how to apply it in my code and I'm on. And that, that learning is very effective. And that's probably mo where most of our learning comes from is when we're doing this, right? But when we sit down and we're like, I wanna learn something new, unfortunately, we're all lied to about how we're effectively learning, you know, I decide I, you know, I want to learn uh, view, right? Or crank. I just saw the announcement for crank JS. Super looks super cool. I'm gonna learn crank, <laughs> right? So I go find a course on crank. I don't think any of them exist yet, but go find a course on crank. I want to learn crank. Uh, it's gonna be like this, and this. I'm lying to myself, thinking that I'm learning it. Unless I generate. How do I generate? How do I go through the generation process after taking a course? Straightforward. I, I, I do. If I don't, if I'm not doing it at work, I start up a personal project. Right, and to figure out what can I do with this knowledge. No, no. It doesn't necessarily like take start. Start over, Mike. You didn't. We weren't clear the first few words. Sorry, copy and pasting a potential solution from one place into your code doesn't necessarily mean you're learning it. You're utilizing it unless you actually understand the piece that you're moving from location A into your code. You exactly. I don't think that counts as learning. You're right. Uh, a great example, personal example of that is I have used the random integer generator uh, in JavaScript easily 100, 150 times. For the life of me, I couldn't do it on my own. I Google it every time, right? And I don't ever stop and really, I actually maybe have stopped once or twice, but I've never actually tried to generate the answer myself and do it on a regular basis, a regular enough basis that I would retain that. But it actually, in that case, it really doesn't matter because I can quickly Google that algorithm, copy and paste it in. I really don't know, I don't need to memorize that, right? 
or, or tr even truly understand how to generate a random number because the algorithm exists out there in a gazillion places. It's super easy to find. Yeah. Other things are more important. So that's a good example of exactly that. Just copy paste doesn't get you actual necessarily learning. And the, the other side of that is that while, as you stated, that the idea of typing in what somebody's telling you to type doesn't count as active learning. However, right. what it will give you is a resource. So if I type a bunch of code and then I start changing it and I start playing with it to say, hey, what is changing this plus to a minus, this and to an or, this map operator to a filter operator and changing those different things to see how things interact and work, that's active learning, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and a great place where that is possible is Scrimba. So if you haven't ever been or seen Scrimba, Scrimba is one of these online learning places. They, they're they a competitor to Thinkster. So I'm plugging a competitor here, but they have a really cool feature that you'll be watching a course. And I think Dan Wallane just recently did a Scrimba course. I can't remember what it was on, uh, but you could be watching the course. And if you pause the video and click in the video screen, you'll find out it's not a video. It's actually an editor. And so whatever the code was that the instructor has been showing you and demonstrating, you know, you can actually pause it and start playing around with their code and change it. So you could get this exploratory thing. And yes, Mike, that is absolutely active learning. There is a weakness to that or like an ineffectiveness to that. It's, it's still much better than passive learning, but there is some ineffectiveness to that, which is that exploratory and play learning might cause you to spend a lot of time learning a lot of things that isn't necessarily the most important thing for you to learn. Right, so you can play around with how does this work, and you know, go off into some corner fascination. But that may not be as useful knowledge as something that's really more important, right? Which is the value of curriculum design. Uh, the best way to have it done would be for an instructor to teach you something, and then give you a challenge of something to do based on the knowledge that you just learned. And that instructor needs to utilize their experience, their expertise, their knowledge to give you a challenge that's challenging enough but reinforces the correct concept. So, you know, you might be playing learning GraphQL, but start playing around with something and really playing around with something that's either unimportant, you would never use, or you would never use it, or even something that doesn't even necessarily GraphQL, you like start playing around with some JavaScript, interesting JavaScript stuff, but yet you're trying to learn GraphQL, right? So having the author actually designed for you is usually the best way to do that, which is, that's why we pay universities, you know? The, the curriculum has been there and they give us, enough exercises to do hands-on that it's, you know, we learn the most effective way. That's why we pay universities. And I, I think that um, transcends into like the ideas of the passive learning of the blog posts, the uh, podcast, the conference talks. And I think where that switches a little bit from the passive to active is when you get into a workshop where you have mm -hmm. that yes. feedback of, Hey, we're going to go over this concept. Here's addition. Now, Here's a bunch of numbers. Go add those together. Right. Come back. If you have questions, do that. That real-time feedback of, all right, do that exploration of, here, take a concept and actually apply it. Right. Yeah. I I specifically never mention uh, workshops when I'm talking through like all these passive examples because, I mean, I teach workshops. Mike, you teach workshops. Justin, you've taught workshops, right? Like a good workshop. Uh, there's poor workshops where there's just basically an eight-hour talk, <laughs> Uh, what, one of my worst workshops, it was John and Dan taught for two days. I taught for a third day and I had this like curriculum I hadn't quite finished up and I just wanted to, I felt like oh, I got to fit in a lot of stuff. And so I spent like the last two hours just lecturing and it was just terrible. Right. Um, 
but yeah, a good workshop is they teach you something and then you do a hands-on practice and the teacher just sits and walks around. Maybe it helps you out. That's a good workshop. Hopefully you've had the opportunity to have your boss pay for you to go to a workshop or two. And if not, press them on it because that's really effective hands-on learning and a great way to learn. So, and, uh, you know, I should have been plugging Thinkster the whole time because this is actually, these are the foundational principles that I started Thinkster uh, and, or took over Thinkster in order to implement was we actually teach courses where you get a video and then you get a challenge and a hands-on exercise based on the one video that you just watched. And it's already set up. We, you know, it's great because you could, we can use stack blitz for, you know, most stuff. And uh, so you can do exactly what I was talking about, say with angular routing, here's, the basics of an angular route now here's here i want you to take this project that is missing one route entry and i want you to go and add that route entry and you'll know that it works because you can click the link and you'll be able to navigate right that's another great thing about programming is you know that you got the right answer because things work generally sometimes you get the right answer for the wrong reason um <clears throat> so going back to how to, so outside of actually coming and taking thinkster courses which is we're going to, we actually, instead of doing 20%, we do 80%. And the last 20% is really just you spending the time, right? Most stuff is you get 20%. So here's how to get that other 80%, right? Don't stop with just the course. Don't just do the course. You have to know that you got another 80% you got to learn. So if you're, and specifically courses, right? I'm learning something big. As you're taking the course, start your own project that's different than what you're doing, right? some other project and follow along in a sense with what they're doing, but in your own project. And the best thing again is not, don't consume the whole course and then try to go back, try to follow along with your own project that's different and utilize everything that they teach you in your own project. You just, you know, I'm learning Angular. I just learned about how to display, create your own Angular project, learn how, and then try to display some information. Now the next section I learned how to route in your project, go and add some routing, but do something different, come up with something. And then this is another really great thing to do is come up with a project that you care about and you find you have some interest and passion in. I taught myself to program because I was playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends when I was 15 or 16. And uh, I was creating in Pascal as a command line, this dungeon master's assistant tool. And because I was passionate about the subject and I was actually utilizing it, it was, it was almost like a work project, right? I was utilizing it on a day-by-day -day basis. Every time I was in the Pascal book and I learned something new, I was like, man, I could go use this in this thing that I'm building and make it better. And I, I at the time, I was uh, taking a university course and it was Computer Science uh, 201, right? And the course, you know, it's three months long on the calendar, right? It was supposed to be in class for three months. And I was finished with the book after four weeks. I'd gone through the book and I, so I just, I, I, I can't remember how much of class I showed up to at that point, but I'd finished the entire 201 course at the university early because I was doing this thing that I cared about. I was passionate about, and I didn't need the lecture because I was, the book was a pretty decent textbook and I, but I cared about it. So this is the, this is the key to getting good active learning and learning anything programming wise effectively is know that it's not active. And so you're going to have to take on yourself, the burden of making, of taking the other 80% and do this, create yourself a personal project, fall along with it and work through that personal project and apply what you learn, but apply it in small chunks. If it's a three hour course, don't watch all three hours and then try to go do a personal project. Watch the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then try to practice everything you've learned in your own personal project. If you have, if you're lucky enough to be a Thinkster subscriber, then you don't have to worry about this part because we actually give all this for you. But, uh, you know, we're just a small piece out there. There's tons of stuff to learn that we don't teach. So whatever it is that you want to learn, 
that's the, the most effective way to do this sort of stuff. And it, it, it avoids cognitive overload and a bunch of other stuff, but that will actually be the, the best way for you to learn something new is to go along with this pattern. I, I agree. And I also agree with the idea of the personal project aspect. But at the same time, I'm aware that not everyone has the time or the or the ability to be able to spend their own time doing it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be an at-home personal project after work hours thing. You can do this with your work projects as well at times, not always, that you right. can do this as part of your job as well to be able to actively learn while you're producing other things as well. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's actually a really great point. We talk about, you have to do things on your own time and you have to do this. And that works for some people. And that may have worked. It worked in my case. However, I realized that it may not work for everyone. Right. If you happen to be single, right. Or uh, have a, a relationship that doesn't like a, a require a high amount of time, lots of kids and lots of other responsibilities, lots of other responsibilities in your life. Uh, your life is somehow arranged that you got tons of free time in it. And you're one of those people that just loves nothing more than programming, then spending 20 hours a week learning new things is great, right? Very, very advantageous. But if you, and it's okay to night for neither of those things to be true. If you don't enjoy programming so much that you just want to come home and do it, you should still be a programmer if, if you're adequate if you're adequate at the job because the industry desperately needs more programmers. And if all we're consuming is the people who, you know, would do it for free and they're just happy to get paid, then we're not going to get enough stuff done. It's a great job. And most jobs are not like that. Most people would not go home and do whatever it is they do for a career at home for fun. So it's okay to be like that. It's okay to have a busy life. So find whatever time that you have to learn Make it the most effective. So <clears throat> that is a, a really important part of this is when I talk about doing all these things, right? Understand that if you say you only can find three hours a week to learn, right? And the thought might go through your brain that the most effective use of that three hours is to consume this three-hour course and get through it. That's actually not the most effective. You're going to learn the least, well, not the least, but you're going to learn fairly and effectively that way. Instead, understand that you're not going to get through three hours and actually retain it. Instead, say, I'm going to only learn half an hour of this course, but the other two and a half hours, I'm going to practice that half hour that I've learned, or maybe an hour, and the other two hours, I'm going to practice what I've learned. Then you're actually getting 100% of that hour rather than 15% of three hours, right? So that is, that is a really important thing is you will learn five times faster by engaging in active learning but your time constraints are going to be what they are. So whatever they are, just use those time constraints to be engaged in active learning and not passive learning. Otherwise, you truly are wasting your time and you should probably just go spend it with your kids, your ailing parent, whatever it is that requires your time after you're done with work, go do that. Uh, your own mental health. <laughs> One of the is. things that I think that you can wrap into, like let's say you, you don't want to, or you don't have that time, or you're not looking to spend that time building the project separate from the course, like you can think about ways to, while you're building the code that's in the course, make it your own during that time, right? Like if it's an yeah. application to do X, maybe have it do Y instead of this topic, That something that connects it to something that you know and you are passionate about, right? Like you talk about, um, will help you to retain it because you'll be going on your journey, but using the same 
formula, but going on your journey with your story being told, right? And so that can help right. you in terms of a, as a student, things that we could you can bring to the table, even if you are approaching these courses that already exist that way, another way to effectively learn through it and be more active, like you're saying. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a good point, right? Like, um, taking and adapting it the best you can, it, it could be really hard to start up a new project just because you might be learning something, but the startup to get it going, like, you know, before create react app, the classic th problem with react was it took a day to get the freaking project up and going. Right. Now it's a bit easier if you're doing React uh, uh, until Mike Brocky came along. Angular sucked to get it up and running. But then Mike Brocky came along and built the CLI. So, um, <clears throat> and he did it all by himself. Not a single person in the entire world helped. No, uh, that's that's a horrible lie. Uh, Mike was definitely a very important part of this team that built the CLI. So that you makes We learned about that and not actively learned about that. Because <laughs> maybe, maybe I did 15%. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, anyway, um, you know, it could be hard to get to the starting point with your own personal project. And that really does suck. Right. Hopefully, maybe like you said, uh, Justin, if the code, if the course is one of the if you have a course, that's like that. And it's really hard to start up your own project. It's like I only got three hours, but it's going to take me three hours. It's going to take me five hours just to get a, a project up and running to practice this in. Maybe then, you know, you could do the download the existing code, but in some way, try to manipulate it. If that in the case where that's not true, though, if it's like, boom, I can open up the CLI and then 20, you know, 20, well, not 20 seconds, but in five minutes have a project up and going, right, then I can practice what I'm doing. Again, ideally, you're over on Thinkster because we're like, you, you can take a five minute video, you click a link, and then you're instantly doing the hands on exercise, right, within 20 seconds, because that's how amazing Stackblitz is. But um, if that's not the scenario that you're in, then do the best scenario. If it's just manipulating their code, but doing it differently than they're showing, then that's the best. If you can get quickly, if you can get it, your own project up and running, even if you, you know, it's better, again, it's better to do one hour of a course and practice it for two hours than it is to do three hours of a course and practice it for none. Right. For your total, that's that in, a, in a effect is five times faster and five times more effective than than going through all three hours and retaining very little of that. I I really wanted to learn Vue about a year and a half ago. Went through the whole paid Vue course. I went over to I can't remember if it was Vue School or Vue Mastery. Signed up. Went through the whole main course uh, on their fundamental course on learning Vue. When I was totally done, I went through and tried to actually like implement some of what was done, and I ran into a block. Of like, wow, I didn't like, I think that the thing was, I didn't figure out where I was supposed to put my business logic. They never really taught that. And so uh, I kind of never came back and it, I wasted that time. I probably spent five to seven hours going through that course. And I wasted all that time because I never put it into actual practice. I tried for just a little bit and I gave up really quickly. I'm a, there was a, there's a good example of me doing things wrong, right? If I had been doing hands-on the whole entire time, I would have had the opportunity to retain that knowledge. Um, but I didn't. Very true, very true. There's a question in the chat um, that is ties into like the rewards of learning and uh, incentives. Or do you have anything in terms of that? Or is that more behavioral, not about necessarily how to effectively learn? So, explain that again. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't even know there was live comments. This is so cool. We could have been looking at the live comments. Yeah, it's, it's basically uh, incentive incentivize uh, behavior in a learning platform. 
incentivizing yeah that's a really deep topic like we've actually looked at like different types of gamification and stuff like that there are really effective ways to gamify things the gamification is just one way to incentivize learning there's other ways to incentivize learning uh, you know we've been talking a lot about if you are the primary driver of the learning right so not you're not the educator you're the consumer and the con and the, the educator has given you just that worse what the when i say worse it's really just the typical what everybody mostly produces because most people haven't studied enough education to try to take this to the next level. So if they're giving you that 20% and you're responsible for the other 80, then the the only thing you can come up with is your own reward system. And me personally, I like buying Star Wars figures. So I actually have this thing where it's like, if I complete this course, then I can go out and I can buy these Star Wars figures that I really want to buy. Like there's my own, uh, if, you're the, if you're the educator, there's an entirely different uh, set. I, I think that's a really big, um, that's a really big topic that, uh, I, I like even from that one little question, I, I, I'm not even exactly sure what the question is, if I'm even beginning to address what that question is. So uh, not, a separate not, episode for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah separate <laughs> episode, right. right. Yeah. That's something yeah. where we actually need to get Brooke, who's uh, my uh, employee who has a master's degree in education, right? Like she was a school teacher for eight years. So she's, that's something that she's really had to be involved with as well and knows a ton uh, about. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're at the top of the hour. So that's all the pretty much time we have for today. Um, let's do, uh, does anybody have any picks or anything you want to wrap it up with something you've seen recently or something you want to plug or, or anything? I'd like to plug something. Uh, I've been reading the book loser think by, uh, Scott Adams. And, uh, I've found it to be an amazing book. I highly recommend it. It really helps you learn to think critically about things. And especially the, there's a section about thinking like an engineer, which we actually all do. And I was like, wow, that really resonates with me that uh, learning how to think like an engineer. So that's a great book. I would totally plug that book. Nice. Nice. I, I'm, I don't have any picks. I'm just still confused how I can become rather effective um, in learning RxJS, but suck at addition. <laughs> like, like Joe said, Mike, the first time around, just take the whole video in. And now you can go back and watch the recording of this episode and, and you know, now start applying things, right? So two watchers. Hopefully the second video gets into numbers greater than 10 because uh, <laughs> well, no, the, the second watch, you need to do the hand thing and, and the magic thing with the hand, right? right. So the first thing right. you just watched Joe do it and, and were actively present while he did it. Now you can go back and practice. <laughs> do you want to see my other magic trick? Absolutely. Ah, ah. Nice. They got locked together. It's like ring. It's like the Rubik's cube ring thing. Yeah. You know? uh, for those who are uh, interested in learning anything else about things, like Ricardo asked a question. My Twitter DMs are open. DM me if you have any questions specific about Thinkster. Um, I'm happy to chat all day long about this topic or anything, nearly anything else. Awesome. So, well, hey, Joe, thanks. Uh, as always, for coming on the show, sharing your time, sharing your knowledge uh, with our viewers and with, with us. We really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. I'm happy to. I, I love this. I love talking about this topic. Awesome. Oh, you know what? Let me recommend one more thing. Make it yeah. stick. There's a book called Make It Stick. That's actually a lot of what we've been talking about, but in more book form. If you like, really like books and want to want to learn more about what I've been talking about, buy the book, Make It Stick. Great book. Nice. Nice. All right, everybody. That's a wrap. Catch you next time. Cool. See ya. Thanks all.